0: Hi, everyone. This is Congress to Cubicle, the podcast where we look at the efficiency, effectiveness, and credibility of government programs. I'm your host, Steve Goodrich, the CEO of the Center for Organizational Excellence, and we're kicking off season two. With me today is Blair Duncan, who's the Chief Human Capital Officer for Health and Human Services. Welcome, Blair.
1: Thanks, Steve. It's great to be here.
0: Hey, so there's an awful lot going on in our government as we transition. Uh, we've got uh, you know, people needing to get to the border. We've got pandemic crisis. You're at HHS. And we're, we've got a lot to focus on in terms of the, uh, the, the transformation of human capital management across the government with the new administration. You've got your hands full. So let's Let's talk uh, just strategically here a little bit, because there's been some transition between the old administration and this administration with the Chico Council. Yeah, What do you see as the, the role? What do you want that role to be with this new administration?
1: I really think the, the, the Chico Council is the perfect body to share information. Um, not just information that's, you know, agency specific or anything like that, but it's what can we as the Chico Council bring together as a body of knowledge and provide to the new administration and the new leadership at OPM when they come on board. That's what I think that organization can really fulfill the mission of broadening what we as human capitalists have available in our toolkit. All of us, Chico's out there, we're all doing our thing, but that Chico Council is the place that can be brought together and provided, not just, you know, across all of us. Uh, There's a lot of good work being done in the Chico world, in the HR space, in the government, but it's relatively siloed. So we need that body, the Chico, I believe the Chico Council to become that group that brings us together, shares those best practices, and honestly, coordinate across agencies that's what we need we need that we need that assurance that they will help us do things in a different way so that's where i would say that chico council from my standpoint that's where the big value is their ability to bring us all together as one community and share information and actually do something much bigger than changing little legislations here and there. But what do we as a, as a human capital community want for the federal government workforce? That's what I think it would be a great thing to come out of the new, from the new administration is just bring it all together.
0: So OPM doesn't have yet a, a new director that's still under consideration in the Senate. What's your, what's your advice for the new director? What, what advice from the Chico Council? What kind of role do you want to play uh, along with the director
1: of OPM? I, I guess the most important thing from my standpoint would be, and this can get into another topic as well, we need a vision. We need to know what the vision of, whether it's OPM or call it whatever, what is the lead human capital or human resources organization? What's that vision? What are we all striving for? Right now, we as individual Chico's have our own mission and vision. What my vision might be different than NASA versus you know HUD or somebody else. There is no one entity guiding all of the human resources practitioners across the government. That's what I would tell them to do. Get a mission and a vision, and we're all striving at least to something because right now we're not. So that's where I would go immediately Get that out as quick as you can. What does a new administration want for HR across the workspace? I don't know. That's what we're looking for.
0: So within, within that context, and as, as you know, I worked last fall on putting out a set of recommendations for human capital reform, mm-hmm. which actually also included a, a big focus on OPM and reconstituting OPM with, with some strategic capacity. What, what would you say in your mind are the, the the top three imperatives for human capital across the government right now?
1: Well, there's a lot more than three, um, but I'll, I'll just- I was asking it. for just the top three.
0: Just the top three? You can give more if you want.
1: Uh, I, I, I believe the first imperative is what I just said. We need to all get aligned to some strategic mm-hmm. goals. We need to see what the new administration wants from the Chico's and the HR representation throughout the government. So, I mean, that to me is, is the key imperative whatsoever. Give us the direction so then we can help you get to that direction if we know what vision is. Um, we have to change the culture of HR. It's imperative. It, it is absolutely imperative that the culture of the government HR changes. How do you change that? I'm not sure, but I would say along with changing the culture, we have to change the business model of HR within the government. Right now we're still steeped in old practices and the business model of HR is HR is uh, in charge. HR will tell folks, this is how you will do these types of activities when it comes to hiring people. So we need to flip that model around. We need to focus on the customer. We need to define who the customer is for whether it's OPM or even an agency like myself. Who's the customer now? Nothing of that nature has been ever thought of or brought out from a strategic standpoint from the government. That's what I think we need. So hiring a forum is important. Uh, you know, all, they're all important. But if we don't change the culture and the way we look at things differently, then we're going to keep doing the same things that we've been doing and we're not getting there. We all know that there is a huge, huge problem with recruiting junior folks into the federal government. It's huge. Yet we're really not focused on that because we're we're focusing on hiring a form, not in that's not pinpointing a specific population that we're after. We've got to identify where those pain points are, work within the left and right limits of current laws and regulation. But also on the back end and on the side, say, what do we need to change to make it better in the long term? So, all of those things are imperative in my mind. So, I need a vision. I want to really go after those things that we can be that are impactful, but also not that's going to t- take, you know, c- civil service reform isn't going to happen overnight if it ever does. But there are small things, major things that we need to focus on to attempt to fix those current problems that we have and so i don't know if i answered the question i probably said about six things there that i think are very important Uh, i could keep going i could say classification needs to be taken care of
0: uh retirement
1: processing right yeah yeah Yeah.
0: well you bring up a lot of good points and and you're right in that you know this uh, government You know, the underage 30 crowd is less than, you know, 5% of the workforce. In the private sector, it's 24% of the workforce. When you look at other federal governments across the world, it's in the 1820 to 24% range. U.S. government stands alone at under 6%. The technology workforce (laughs) under age 30 is less than 2% in the federal government.
1: And those things need to be addressed, and we can't wait for a hiring reform to do those. We need to fix those problems now, and, and I believe there are ways to do it. We at HHS have had a lot of uh, innovative practices brought up about um, where we are now sharing certificates within our own organization. In other words, you know, for, for those that are listening, we can freely share resumes across HHS that in the past we were never able to do. Well, that needs to be expanded. We have to do that across the government. And that's gonna take an organization top leadership to make that happen. I can request to share it, but it's gonna take an OPM-like organization to say, this is how we're gonna put this into practice. And we can't wait two, three years to do this because we are losing people every day because we can't get them. And I'm gonna go back to one thing. I think one of the main things that are needed is what you and many of uh, the NAPA study said where's the strategic arm of uh, the the federal government human capital workspace? Mm -hmm. There isn't one. No one's looking, at least that I know of personally, that is looking into the future. What's needed, you know, is not what are we going to tweak legislation-wise to fix the current problem, but five years down the road. Who's looking at, I know that the current OPM leadership is looking at the future of work. That should have been started a long time ago. We're already behind the power curve on the future of work when we should have been doing that before. So that's imperative. We've got to start being forward thinking.
0: Well, I think that, you know, the future of work initiative, at least initially looking at things like telework, post pandemic, those kinds of things. And I'm not suggesting they're not important, but what about the way people want to work? You know, do do they want to easily be portable from agency to agency so that they work on projects of interest to them, that they want to be able to move in and out of government easily. How do we attract and retain the workforce that that the government really needs?
1: I don't know the exact answer, but 10 years ago, we were discussing on-ramps and on-ramp, off-ramps for seamless transitioning of civilians in the workforce mm-hmm. into the public sector workforce. But where did that go? I don't know. Those things have got to be built, they have to be communicated, and they have to be something that is doable for the new generation of, of workers. I mean, we, we've gotten rid of defined benefits, except we have them in the federal government, but the new generation, they don't have a retirement. So they're not coming into the federal government, if they do come in, looking for a career. Yet we're still hiring like we're hiring you for a 30-year career. It's very difficult to get in. It's extremely difficult once you're out to get back in. And oh, by the way, if you do leave and you come back in, you're starting fresh. It makes no sense. Where's the seamless transition in and out? It could all be done, but no one's focused on it.
0: Well, within that construct, there's a recent GAO study that indicated that new hires into government, actually, it was a little over 60% of new hires leave their, that position within two years. They may stay in government, but there's a tremendous amount of portability being driven by the workforce, not by the agency.
1: Oh, absolutely. And if that's the case, then why don't we just freely hire people for two years, make them accepted service, let them come on, come on two years. And after two years, we'll both reassess whether you stay or whether you go, but we don't do that. You get your 12 month, your. Uh, I forgot the exact term right now, but for 12 months you're on you're a non-career uh, mm-hmm. employee, and then after that you're a career employee. Well, that's not what these people want. Why don't we let them try it out? Hey, why not? It's no harm to let people come in to try it out. I think another piece of it is is we have to change the mindset of the current managers and supervisors in the federal government. Uh, how many times have I heard, "I don't have the time to train somebody new." I have to have somebody now that can do the job. Well, that's why we're not bringing new people in because we're hiring. We're just shuffling the decks with the uh, GS 11, 12 and 13s. They're just shuffling between agency and agency. And we're not building any bench strength for the future. It's because they don't have time to train them. Well, if that's going to be the way we go forward, then we'll never fix the problem. This is a holistic type of activity that needs oh, it to be is. done.
0: And you know, you get, Pay comparability, um, you, you've got portability of retirement. Yep, there's a lot of things that have to come together and change, and that's one of the reasons we need a strategic unit of OPM Absolutely. to be analyzing this, designing, yep. trying out, piloting, getting things
1: done. It, it goes back to, for instance, shared certificates. If we pro- we have proven in HHS that it is the way to go to hire. To make hiring much more efficient but what it doesn't fix is the problem of new people into the federal government i can shuffle the deck much faster but i need that i need we used to call them tiger teams and all those things mm-hmm. but that's strategic the best and brightest people focused on these types of things or we're going to be sitting here you know a year from now going gosh i wish we could have done something but we're not focused on it so i totally agree, Steve, that that is one of the key elements that has to change quickly or we're going to be here in the same boat for a while.
0: So how do you get with Congress or the administration, how do you make this stuff sexy so they pay attention to it? You know, it's I, and I get the yeah. need to pay attention to infrastructure and the border issue and the COVID crisis and and all those kinds of things. But fundamentally, you know, with Fatara, for example, a few years ago, we got focus on IT. Not perfect yet, but the, the scorecards are in place. People work towards them. We've got the Modernization Act that allows for investment in these kinds of things. How do we get that with other kinds of things, whether it be HR, procurement, you know, the, the mission support functions? How do we make them sexy?
1: <laughs> um, usually not sexy until something's failing. You know, the, the the tipping point. And when it comes to human capital, human resources, we all thought before it was the, the retirement bubble. Oh, no, the, everyone's going to retire and we're not going to have anybody there. But has anything changed because of that? No, mm-hmm. it's still there, except people are now working longer. I don't know if it's, if you can actually make it sexy other than the, I talked to my son. My son is a college uh, sophomore. No at all desired to be a federal government employee mm-hmm. because there is no, there's no recruitment campaign. There's nothing sexy about the federal government. I think we really need to actually start having some type of rec- a government-wide recruitment program. We do it for all the armed services. Mm-hmm. I mean, if the army didn't have recruitment command, they wouldn't have the people that they need to do the job that they do. We don't have one for the government. The government, some jo- government jobs are very sexy, very exciting. Of course, we all wanna go work for NASA and be an astronaut. But what about the bulk of the other jobs that are not mm-hmm. sexy that we need the workforce? So I, I, th- I think we just need to, to be realistic in that, where's, where's the workforce focused on the government as an employer of choice? We don't advertise the good things that we do as agencies. We try to. We don't have a budget for that kind of thing. We're pickup games most of the time. There needs to be a concerted effort to recruit people, retain people. Uh, you know, The FEVS survey is great, but nobody on the outside understands what FEVS is, the Federal Employee Viewpoint Survey. Mm-hmm. So they don't know what that is, but we all go, wow, I want to go work for HHS or NASA or whoever because of their... The viewpoint survey score that's not out there right now the civilian the, you know the non federal government work they don't even know I mean they don't know that we're the largest employer in the world they don't know that they just know that it's government so yeah I, I, I don't know so
0: that was one of the recommendations we actually made was a as a OPM directed government wide uh, marketing campaign absolutely Uh, recruitment campaign for the federal government. Oh,
1: yeah, I I think. And and I think every one of us Chico's would welcome that. Mm -hmm. You know, we need that because many some organizations have a budget for it. Some do. Some don't. But the ones that do have a budget for it. They're very one off, very specific, usually, you know, scientists or something of that nature. But for the general population. It's not something that's uh, out there. So what I would say to that, Steve, you want to make it sexy, I would have a team of people in OPM focused on how do we hire new employees in the federal government? Who is my client? It is every single 18 to 26-year-old person out in the United States that is eligible for a government job? How do I get those people to come into the workforce? What do I need to do? How do I change hiring? Mm-hmm. How do I change my recruitment efforts? What things can we do as a, as a government entity to attract these people? I'm not saying keep them there forever, but get them in. We have to over-assess. And when I say over-assess, I'm saying if I have a requirement for five people in my organization at a junior grade, I need to hire 10. I need the budget to do that because attrition will naturally occur. There's no longer hiring for the 30-year career. We have to over-assess if we're going to get our mission done.
0: But you don't Things have like budget that. flexibility to do that. None.
1: None and, whatsoever.
0: And you don't, it, back to an earlier point you made, you've got, you know, I can't get feds on, on board fast enough, so I go hire contractors right. because that's a yeah. different color of money.
1: Right? Uh, right. Right. Very few restrictions on what I can do getting hired. Contractors on board, as long as I, you know, the acquisition process, and it's much faster. It most certainly is to get that job done. Yet, we would all prefer to have that core federal workforce because we are very inflexible with our core f- workforce. That's why we have the contract workforce, and it's needed, it'll always be needed. But if we're going to say HR is a good example, HR is ripe for outsourcing. There are lots of organizations out there that can do the job that current government HR does. But is that what we want? I don't think so. I think we want a good core group of HR people, junior as well as mid and senior grade, and we work that that grouping of people. I mean, we can't forget that we can use contractors, but we got to remember we got to take care of our core workforce as well. So,
0: yeah, I, I, I would agree. I actually think there's too many contractors out there. Um, and when you have contractors who have been there on site for 10 years, and they're not even sure they're not a government employee right. for a while, <laughs> there's something wrong with that model and, and maybe a new definition of inherently government. But, right. But where can shared services come in now and, and really help make HR more efficient and effective?
1: again the the shared service piece goes back to what the budget allows mm-hmm. uh if i don't have any extra money then i can't use shared services i have to rely on my my current workforce a good example would be i have this really great tool we call it uh, hr exchange that we invested some money into mm-hmm. and we built this tool in a normal world or normal governance space I am the owner of that, and I shall not give that to anybody because I built it, I paid money for it, but with the new technologies and things that are available, it's easier to say, here, just take it, just take the code, recreate it in your environment, and it's free, and I'm doing that. I think we need more of that. We need more sharing across government agencies, not from a fee basis, but from a technology basis, and I'm not IT, um, but the new software packages whatever we call them uh, that's possible where i can just say here you go buy that that service agreement with this organization you can copy my code and you can do exactly what i do tweak a little bit instead of the initial investment of creating an entirely new system so i think those are those those are the types of things that we can do in a shared way not shared service way i'd be honest with you i i cringe every time i'm asked to do a shared service provider because I'm not funded to do it. And I'm not funded to pay somebody else to do it. I'm funded to pay to get my folks what they need done. Again, it goes back to the budget. I wish, I, I wish there was a way that we could work that um, more seamlessly. But remember in the HR space as well, mm-hmm. because we don't have that, we have documentations, we have rules and regulations that guide everything that we do. Yet there are some left and right limits that each organization has the ability to make their own decisions on. If a shared service provider in the HR space will only do it one way, then it will only be good for one organization. So they have to be flexible as well. And that's sometimes where we get into problems. Um, When we use OPM, for instance, they'll only do it one way, yet it's okay to do it the other way. So again, shared services Uh, are how you use them.
0: Sharing is an interesting concept. And I... I wrote a whole section on that in my book a few years ago on transforming government. Mm -hmm. I've actually been involved in, you know, where an agency says, I just got appropriated, you know, $75 million to build this tool. And I've said, But you know, the agency next door already has it. Okay. And and it's homegrown. Mm -hmm. Taxpayers paid for it. They and I actually, in one instance, had a situation where we brought that agency over on a field trip. They spent two days with the other agency. And that agency said, we'll give you the code, we'll give you all the documentation, (laughs) and we'll give you three or four people for four months to configure it for you and get it set up. You shorten your lead time from at that point from about 24 months to three months You go from 75 million to about 2 million in costs, and you're up and running and more efficient. But that, what did the agency do? Now we want to build our own, right? No, and it doesn't allow us to do this.
1: Well, that's that's it. You, You said it. That is so true. Inside of HHS, where we have nine hr centers and we have you know when we started when i started in this job we had 63 it related systems across all of hhs so many of them are duplicative we have four time and attendance system across hhs why because somebody wants to build their own and they don't like that one or that one i own that one and i don't want to pay you to tweak your system and we pay exorbitant amount of money for licensing and all the things that we need to do that is not necessary. We can consolidate so much of this Mm -hmm. into a very, and I I will be honest with you, along with the OPM, uh, you know, strategic arm of OPM, right next to that is the forward thinking IT consolidation slash how do we get one seamless system across the entire federal government? If we don't get there, we will never get our hands on data. I'm sorry, it's well, it's all over the place. I can't get there without that.
0: You're, you're absolutely right. And one of the things that was noted in our study was, you know, the government's payroll is a little over $300 billion a year. But beyond that, nobody knows how much is spent on human capital management across the government. There, so systems, processes, tools, methods, oh. people, nobody knows. And you have also an augmented contractor workforce that at oh. so everybody likes to talk about the um the the staffing ratio from hr to to agency staff but nobody right. knows how many contractors are in there so oh. your number is always yeah. bogus how do we oh it's it always always yeah. bogus and, absolutely and, and make it efficient in the in the process
1: yeah um that's why that the data piece, I think, goes back to what you, you were saying before. If, if we can get our handle on the data piece, then maybe we can get the on ramps and off ramps and we can fix our retirement problem. And, you know, I just got a, I was off a conversation today. We're now still in this current environment. We still have to have wet signatures for retirement packets that go forward. We can't have that. And that's an IT as well as it's a policy uh, retirement issue done by hand. It, it's insane. It's truly insane. But and there is no and what's really I think important over the long haul because we are the federal government. We are huge. We have so many. We need to be able to attract people and let them come back. Where's the central repository for people data? We we have these great caves out in uh, you know out west a little bit here that holds millions and millions of people's personal files. But we don't have anything that's tracking individuals today. Each agency has their own different system. We do have EOPFs, or you know, electronic personnel files. Um, yeah, but the paper guess file what? My file is held I. here. It's it's insane.
0: <laughs> and there's been a plan for an EDR system for a while, but nobody's funding it or paying attention to it. But you got to pay attention to it. Yes. Got to get Congress right. to act on it as well.
1: Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and
0: and want to do it. So when I say make it sexy, what I really mean is pay attention
1: to it (laughs) and give us some funds. We can I mean, there are so many, like I said before, there are so many great Chico's out there. Chico agencies or folks working within the Chico community pilot something show that it'll work and and we're more than happy and everyone knows that hhs will pilot anything because i'm here but there are a lot of other chicas that want to jump on that pilot bandwagon because we all know it may not be sexy but it is urgent we need to do these things now we can't wait
0: fully agree Blair, I I appreciate your time today. This was interesting and fun. I know we can spend hours talking about this and there's so much (laughs) that's needed, but thanks for coming on Uh, everybody. Blair Duncan, the Chief Human Capital Officer at the Health and Human Services. Appreciate your time. Thank
1: you. Thanks, Steve. Great being here. Enjoyed it.
0: Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Congress to Cubicle. We kicked off season two. There'll be a total of six episodes in season two. If you want to watch them or look back at season one, the six episodes there, you can go to our website, center4oe.com, or all the major podcast outlets or YouTube. If you want to get a hold of me to talk about anything, you want me to look at another topic or comment on the topics we have reach out to me at steve at center4oe.com. Have a good day and look forward to seeing you in our next episode.